Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. We are diving into our Trellis series. My name is Stevie. If we have not met, I'm one of the pastors on staff. So, so grateful to be a part of this church and really a part of this series, being uh, a series that wants to build our life on Jesus and the practices of Jesus. And so the dominating question for this sermon today is who is your life all about? Or to put it another way, whose applause or approval do you deeply long for? I think if you are in this room and you're trying to give the good Christian answer as I would, you would say God. You'd be like Jesus, because that's the answer, right? It's always Jesus. But I think if I'm honest, I think if we're all honest, we live lives with duplicit desires, right, don't we? Or layered desires, meaning that if we all were to dig deep into the earth of our desires and we truly find at the core what we really do want is to wholly and wholeheartedly honor God alone and, and seek his approval and seek his praise. But I think the dirt and the rocks and the weeds that we have to dig through to get to that very deep desire if we're honest, probably consists of ourselves, probably consists of our kids or our parents, our boss, someone that we like and we really want them to like us back, or the world in general. I think we want to seek the approval of God, but at the same time, we more frequently, as well as more obviously, live for the applause of others, the approval of another, or the praise and recognition of someone else. Now, I want to be Frank, I don't think that that's, that desire for, to, to like have approval is bad. I think that we should love and serve others really well. I think we want to be great husbands. We want to be hard workers. We want to be upstanding citizens. I think those are all good things. But if we were to sift through our lives and we give a good and honest assessment of our motivators and our desires, what I think lifts our spirits or crushes our spirits when we get the praise and approval or when we don't is a pretty good indicator of what our answer is. Who is your life for? So the Apostle Paul, he talks about this, where he has, we have these two desires waging war within us. He talks about the spirit of God that we have inside of us. It shapes us. It yearns inside of us to live our life beautifully for him. So the spirit of God inside of us wants to desire more of God and for his approval. Yet, he says, we have this other part that's called the flesh. And the flesh is what we want now. It's instant gratification. It's the immediate praise and recognition. It's the pleasures here and now given by others for the benefit of ourselves. Paul in Galatians 5 says that we need to crucify the flesh. Romans, he says, put it to death, which if you hear those phrases, they are verbs that are active. You participate in the putting to death of your flesh. And the invitation for us is to step into that work. So the the spirit in us is what we want most, but the flesh in us is what we want now. And I think sooner or later, when we give way to the flesh, this instant gratification, this temporal or immediate lesser desire, it actually sabotages our ability to step into that deeper yearning of our hearts to glorify God alone. So this trellis series is about us framing our lives intentionally in a way that we orient our lives towards the spirit and away from the flesh, right? It's to rhythm or to discipline our lives so that we tap into this greater desire and we actually get to experience the wholeness of Christ, right? 
the joy of Christ, the peace of Christ, the love of Christ, the life of Christ in every season. Meaning when we're in seasons of celebration, we experience the joy of Christ. And when we're experiencing seasons of grief, we experience the peace of Christ. In seasons of plenty, as well as seasons of lack, and seasons of security, as well as seasons of doubt. See, Jesus wants us to be completely different people. He wants us to live with a different disposition to the world. And so this series is about this. The biblical authors call this freedom. Freedom from slavery, the slavery of your immediate desires, the slavery of I need this right now, slavery of our flesh, which is this exhausting treadmill of approval that we, we try to just keep getting the approval of other people and it crushes us. So the question is, how do we influence our desires? How do we actually tap into that deeper and greater desire to live for the approval of God alone and not for the approval of others? And I think it's a practice. Because we can't force desires, but we can plant desires. We can water desires. And it grows until that desire consumes us. We do this in bad ways, where we decide to just go to that one thing that we know we shouldn't do, and we kind of plant that desire, whether it's through a temptation or a thought. But then we water that desire and we step into the habit of it, and eventually it grows until it's a full-blown addiction. But it works the other way towards Christ-likeness. See, if you have this desire, I want to honor God, well, how do you plant that desire? How do you water that desire? Then how do you let that desire grow? And that is what this is about. There are practices in the way of Jesus for us to plant water and be consumed by this desire for God above all else. So is there a specific practice or practices in the life of Jesus to free us from this unending treadmill or this shackle of human praise and approval? And I would say yes. It's the practices of hiddenness and demonstration. Hiddenness and demonstration. So imagine if Jesus never had a public ministry. He never preached. He never healed the sick. He never freed people from brokenness. He never was displayed on the cross, but he only hid away with God in the wilderness. We would not be here. I think Jesus would have a very beautiful life with God. I think he'd have a really sweet time with God, but there would be no impact in his life. But put it this other way. Imagine if Jesus never had private secrecy with God. Imagine if he only withdrew to pray or, or, he, uh, he, lived, or he lived 30 years in total obscurity, learning and growing and experiencing all the humanness that you and I experience, but he, never, or he only walked around preaching and he only walked around healing people. I don't think that he would actually have the freedom from human approval. I don't think that he'd have the power in his ministry or he wouldn't have intimacy with the Father that he shares with you and I. He would not be the Savior we worship. He would not be the Savior we need. He wouldn't be the Savior at all. So Jesus lived a life of demonstration and we needed it. And he lives the life of hiddenness and we need it. All of these that Jesus did was for God's approval and his approval alone. Paul in Philippians 4 says, I've learned the secret of contentment. I can be content in all situations. What is it? It's this pure satisfaction in Christ alone. It is freedom from the tyranny and the drug of worldly approval. And so this is my desire. For me, this is my desire for our church, that if we could grasp this, freedom from the drug and the approval of other people. To live for God alone, we would be able to live holy, love purely, serve humbly, and participate powerfully in God's work here and now. This is what Jesus is after. 
And so we're going to dive into our teaching text. This is what he gets into in Matthew 5 and 6. And so as I read this text, would you guys mind standing, standing with me if you are able? This is just our way of saying, God, this is the most important thing that we're going to do is just listen to your words. And so Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now go down to chapter 6. Be careful to not practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And jump down to verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly I tell you, they've received the reward in full, but when you fast, Put oil on your head and wash your face so that you will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Who in here is the type of person who can't make up their mind? Yeah. You made up your mind fast about raising your hand. You knew that you got, I'm going to claim that one. It's like me every time. Uh, my wife's like, what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. Uh, and she's like, no, you surely know. And I really don't know. I genuinely don't know. It's the truth. Or you know when you're walking down the street and you're walking right at someone and you decide to go left, but they decide to go right, which is the exact same direction. And so then you take another step this way, but they take the step that way. And you just kind of do that dance for a little bit. It's super awkward. And then eventually you like pick a side. Left side, right side, what are we going to do? And then you get to walk past them. Like, we all experience these moments. And when I read these texts, I kind of feel like this is what Jesus is doing a little bit. Like, do you want us to let our light shine before others so that people can see the good deeds that we have? Or do you want us to, like, not let our left hand know what our right hand's doing? Do you want us to shine or do you want us to hide? What are you up to, Jesus? And I feel like this is a moment that we can have a whiplash. And this is actually a moment that I think has caused some confusion for Christians. Because I know a lot of people, I know in my own uh, kind of journey with Jesus, I've had struggles with, well, did I just, I mean, I'm, I'm literally on a stage right now. Like, is this wrong? I don't know. And I've had to wrestle with those things. And so what is Jesus after? R.T. Kendall, he says, some might think Jesus is contradicting himself, having told us to let our good works shine before men. And now he warns us not to let our acts of righteousness be seen by men. But this, or there, is a big difference between these two commands. 
Whereas the previous teaching was designed to glorify God, what Jesus now condemns is that which would glorify ourselves, not God, by the show of our righteousness. In essence, who is your life about? See, I think Jesus knows really well the innate desire to seek the approval and the applause of other people. In fact, just after Jesus was baptized and he got affirmed by God, you are my son, I'm pleased with you, he was sent off into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And all of the temptations, if you read it in Matthew 4, they're all about getting glory now. They're all about the flesh, the immediate. Get it right now. You don't have to wait immediate satisfaction and gratification. The second temptation, if you read it, is about him jumping off of the temple and let the angels catch you, is what the, the, the devil says. Jump off. Let the angels catch you. They're not going to let you strike your foot because you got work to do. And everyone's going to see you because the temple's a public place. Wouldn't that be awesome? If I saw Jesus get caught by angels, I'd believe. Wouldn't you? And so this is what the devil is trying to say, is you want to do this so that you can get the approval, the applause of other people. And I love it. Jesus just says no. Because Jesus knows that he's not living for the public eye. He's living for the eye of God. He didn't live for other people's approval. He lived for the praise of God. Dale Carnegie, in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he explains that. The desire to feel important is one of the strongest urges in the world. There's one longing almost as deep, almost as impervious as the desire for food and sleep, which is seldom gratified. It's what Freud calls the desire to be great. It is what Dewey calls the desire to be important, almost as strong as the desire for food and sleep. We have distorted desires to be great. Which, when we have this desire to be great, it often means that other people cannot be great, right? We want to be the best. No one else can be honored for that. Our desire to be great and important twists us into competition, right? It teaches us to be people who, uh, to, to let people be judges of our life. Scott McKnight, in his book, he says, on the, on the one hand, humans have a pro uh, proclivity to usurp the place of God by sitting in judgment on one another which is why humans seek the approval of others. On the other hand, we seek the approval of others rather than the pleasure of God in our behaviors because as it often turns out, they will give us what we want versus God gives us what is good and what is right. See, we make humans judges. And as a result, we want to please people because they're constantly judging us. We also want to please people because they give us the immediate applause. They give us the immediate gratification that honestly God doesn't always give. You've ever done something and you're like, God, where's my like, round of applause? Like, I just did this thing in secret. Where is it? And so we don't get that immediate gratification. That, that desire to be seen and important actually is not a bad longing. I think it's a really good longing. But twisted and distorted by sin, human applause becomes a drug. It gives us a kind of high, right? It meets our need for approval, but it fades Quickly, Jonathan Pennington says the desire to have others reward one with praise for piety is a powerful drug. It is easy enough to perform outward actions to get this fix of the praise from others drug. I mean, scientists have done a lot of study that when your phone buzzes, when you get like a like or you get a retweet, whatever it is, you actually have dopamine hits in your mind. We get addicted to this. So what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 6 is our motivation our expectations. It's where we put our value. 
Who has your heart determines your worth. And Jesus knew this really well. So he lived a life intentionally formed away from this drug of human approval and into freedom. If you think about it, Jesus lived 30 years of his life in complete obscurity. We have the story of his birth. We have like one story from when he was 12 years old, but then we don't know anything else until he's 30 years old. John Tyson, who's a pastor in Church of the City, New York, he says, God was in the village for 30 years and no one seemed to notice. He spent three years in public ministry, but 30 years in obscurity. That's 90% obscurity rate for 10% public ministry. Jesus seemed to be more concerned about potency than publicity. And even during his potent years of ministry, Luke 5, 16 says that he often withdrew to deserted places to pray. He often got away to secret places to spend time away, from the, away with the Lord. And he did this for a few reasons. He did it to prepare for significant tasks, like when he was going to start his public ministry or when he was going to appoint the 12 disciples. He got away for rest. When he had intense stretches of ministry, he would get away. He got away to grieve. Just after his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded, he went away and withdrew to a remote place to be alone in the secret place with God. He also got away to prepare for hardship. You see, right before he goes to the cross, he goes to a garden to get away and pray. And just as much, though, as Jesus' life is marked by this secrecy, by this kind of moving away to, to be able to pray and be alone with God, he's also marked by potent demonstration of the kingdom. He preaches, he teaches, he heals, and he sets the oppressed free. If you look at the life of Jesus, there is an ebb and a flow. There is an inhale and there is an exhale of hiddenness and demonstration. So our lives needs to be an inhale and an exhale of hiddenness and demonstration. In hiddenness, we inhale the life of Christ. And in demonstration, we exhale the life of Christ. Ruth Haley Barton says that without a balanced approach to spiritual disciplines, we run the risk of cultivating a one-sided spirituality that will disintegrate under pressure from the part of us that we have left underdeveloped. So we need to develop the inhale as well as the exhale. If you just try to hold your breath, you're going to pass out. But if you never take an inhale, you will die. But your body will probably make you take an inhale anyways because it's pretty good at that. So demonstration, I want to start with demonstration as we kind of just quickly move through these things. But demonstration, Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says in the same way, let your light shine, that your good deeds may be seen and they will glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus tells us, let it shine. Let your light shine. Live out loud. Go around loving other people as I did, Jesus says. Do good things. Participate in my kingdom coming. See, before Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father, he promised his disciples in Acts 1, verse 5. He says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. And then verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so there's this infilling of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens to the church, it is set ablaze, right? This entire book of Acts is all about the boldness, the proclamation, the demonstration of the kingdom of God. And it is a central characteristic to Jesus as well as to his disciples. We need to live bold, beautiful, displaying lives of the kingdom of God. If we even take Acts 4 as an example, verse 13 
When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. How would you like that to be your descriptor? People are like, wow, you're kind of dumb and you're common. That was awesome. Like, I'm, I'm really surprised that you did that. Like, they were surprised because the Holy Spirit came on them, and because they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Go to verse 29. And now, look, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. When the Holy Spirit comes, we are empowered with boldness to demonstrate the kingdom. I've said this quote before, but I think it's, it's worth just repeating. This is Simon Ponzibi when he's talking about the power of God. He says, this is the power of Christ, the promise of Pentecost. Jesus said that we would be clothed with power. The Greek word for power is dunamis, from which we have derived words like dynamite, dynamo, and dynamic. Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit will be explosive. They will make a noise and have an impact. Their words, their lives, their presence will change things. It is the fullness of the power Paul wants us to enter into. Paul declares that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Sadly, however, we often seem all talk and no power, impotent, academic, and anemic. We have placed God in a box. We have domesticated God and rarely want him to disturb us. But the scriptures reveal a God who is all power, who breaks our boxes, shatters our bonds, shakes whole rooms, and turns the world upside down and right side up. As followers of Jesus, our lives would be marked with power. We are to walk in the authority of Jesus. I mean, again, imagine if Jesus never demonstrated life for us. So we need to learn how to live in the reality of the kingdom to display and demonstrate God in our everyday, ordinary lives with boldness. It seems like God's wanting to fill us with the Spirit, and He wants to send us out to demonstrate His love and kindness in the world. He wants us to be bold. So He says, let your light shine. But I think that the tagline of this teaching in Matthew 5 is, so that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Who gets the credit? What's our motive whenever we try to seek boldness, when we try to step out, when we try to demonstrate, when we try to use the, the gifts, the talents, the abilities, everything that God has given us, and we start to display that in front of others, we let our light shine, who gets the credit? Now, the reality is this is actually a harder question because it's a dance. So the reality is, is being a pastor who stands on a stage, people might come up and just say like, hey, great sermon." And then at that point, I have to wrestle with, like, was that my motive? And I can actually receive it and say, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. But at the end of the day, I also have to say it is truly about God. But it's also really, like, disrespectful to you if I'm like, yeah, no, thanks. All glory to God. You know, he just did it. When, like, God also empowered me to put a lot of time and work into these things. You know what I'm saying? And so with that, the question that we have to wrestle with is, how do you know if your motives are pure? How do you actually know if you've got the right intention? Can our motives be pure? And I think just as often as people don't step into their call to demonstrate the kingdom of God because they don't know the power and the authority that God has given you to walk in, which is true, I think there are people who also don't step into demonstration because they're afraid of themselves. I think people are afraid because we have impure motives. 
or because you have impure motives, you already know that, and we desire for the praise of others, we're stunted out of fear of rejection from others. We walk around with insecurity because I'm so afraid if you're gonna reject me, if you're gonna accept me, I can't walk with that insecurity, so I just don't step out at all. The reality is I'm trying to hit on is there's no formula to this. It's not calculable. It's not the way that you can kind of like exactly figure out what your motives are completely. Hiddenness helps with this. I'm gonna talk about that in a second, but sometimes we don't step out in big, bold, and beautiful ways and use the gifts and talents and authority God has given us. And for some of you in the room today, you need that nudge. You need that encouragement because God wants you to let your light shine. Some of you are walking around with your light underneath a basket. You are not letting your good deeds. You're not letting the gifts and the talents that God has asked you to steward. And you're not letting that shine before others. And if that's you, just as Jesus stepped out of obscurity into demonstration, the practice for you might be take a risk. Be bold. Step out. Live out loud. I mean, think about this. We are all shaped by people who decided to step out and demonstrate. I am so grateful for Benji and Jen for saying yes to the Lord to call, uh, when he called them to plant Light Church, to literally let the light shine. I'm grateful for people like John Mark Comer and Tyler Staten and Ronald Rollheiser that write books that I am so formed and shaped by. I'm grateful for Rich Viotis who has formed my vision for diversity in the, in the kingdom of God. I'm grateful for women like Mother Teresa that through her writings and her interviews has helped me redefine success in the vision of Jesus. Amy Semple McPherson, who paved the way for this church, fed more people in the Great Depression in the city of Los Angeles than the city of Los Angeles, showing me the heart of the Father for mission of the marginalized. Ruth Haley Barton that I quoted earlier, shaping my view of pastoral leadership infused with deep spirituality and people closer to me. Like my mentor, Bill Doctrum, or a pastor I got to walk with a lot, Josh Harrison, who always have a calendared slot for me. Or my friend Dayud, an incredible Christian man who embodies peacemaking in the Holy Land in the middle of historic but also very real current conflict. He's formed my vision for peace and hostility more than anyone else in my life. I'm grateful that they chose to demonstrate their light. I'm grateful that they chose to say, I've got something and I need to share it. The world has moved forward by people who step up and utilize their gifts that God has given them to demonstrate God's glory, and it is for His glory. And sometimes, even though we're trying to shine the spotlight on God, sometimes the spotlight swings across your face, and that's okay. If someone sees you and they're like, hey, that's awesome, or I just got to talk about people who I really love on stage, they didn't do it for that. They did it for God and for his glory. Sometimes you get the applause, and that's fine. But what's your motivation? So I think my question for you is who are you sharing your light with? Can you think of ways that you are actually letting your light shine before others so they will see your good deeds and glorify God? The people who have shaped you with their light, the best ones, the ones that maintain are also the ones that their demonstration flows from their incubation. Now think about this. No one starts out their life on a stage, except for like all of like the Disney child prodigies. You know what I'm talking about? And their lives blew up. Every one of them. Tell me one Disney-like child star that their life did not blow up. Or Justin Bieber. He came back, you know. They all have to go backwards after their life blew up because they jumped up on a stage before they had the character for it. 
The Bible is actually full of people who had their incubation period before God let them demonstrate. I mean, think of Moses, think of Ruth, think of David, think of Mary, think of Jesus, 30 years. The general flow of the Bible is that there is hiddenness before there's demonstration. And even within demonstration, there's hiddenness. We typically want fame before formation, but we are often crushed when we have the crowds without the character. Demonstration must flow from incubation. I think sometimes it's in God's kindness that he tucks us away and saves us from ourselves and our own destruction. And when you read the ministry of Jesus, every time he's about to do something or when he's asked to do something, he says it's not the right time. And then he says, now is the right time. Jesus was so dependent on the voice and the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit. The timing was always dependent on God. There is this dance here. There's no formula of when to demonstrate, when to hide. There's a listening, which is why demonstration must come out of a place of intimacy. And that comes from hiddenness. So in hiddenness, This is where our motives are purified. This is where we learn to love God's affirmation over the affirmations of others. And we also let God create new things in us. I'm not going to read this whole text, but he essentially goes through three things. And he starts off with, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. This is the thesis statement for everything else that follows. And he goes through three examples. He says, when you give to the needy, don't do it like the hypocrites. When you pray, don't do it like the hypocrites. And when you fast, don't do it like the hypocrites. I think he doesn't want us to be hypocritical. I'm just taking guess here. Jesus gives us these three examples as we step into hiddenness. And these three examples were back then and are to this day markers for the Jewish people that they all did regularly. There's giving to the needy, There's daily prayer and there's fasting. So just a quick note on these three things. Notice this. Jesus says, um, when you pray, when you give, and when you fast. For Jesus, he's assuming that you will be doing these things. He isn't condemning the action of fasting. He's not condemning prayer or giving. He's speaking um, metaphorically or emphatically in these areas to make a point. He's saying, don't make this legalistic. It's not about like if someone actually sees you give, like shoot, that money's going nowhere now. God's not gonna use it. What he's saying is when you do it as best as you can, do it close to secrecy. I remember when I was in college and we were taking a a spiritual disciplines class and I was learning about fasting for the first time. And for the class, we had to fast and we had to write a paper on it. And I remember being like, I don't know if I can do this because like, it's like like everyone's gonna know I'm fasting because it's an assignment, and they're all fasting at the same time, and I feel like, is God going to listen to me now, because everyone knows? I remember going on fast, and I couldn't tell people about it, and they're like, hey, you want to go to the cafe? And I'm like, no, I can't go to the cafeteria. They're like, why not? And you're like, not hungry. For three days? Yeah, I know. I thought that maybe God wouldn't use it, because I wanted to take this legalistically. There's no legalism here. There's an invitation. Jesus is getting at your motive. The second thing he says is, this term hypocrite. Now, the Greek, um, they had these actors. And so hypocrite actually is a reference to actors. It's someone who puts on a mask. It's someone who lives a duplicitous life, a, a split life, a split personality, basically. They're putting on a show. It's not exactly the same way we would use it, where you say one thing, but you do another thing. 
This is someone who can actually say good things and even do good things, but it's a mask. Underneath all of it is this motive that Jesus is actually concerned with. And then the third thing Jesus says is that if you do this for the glory of others, you've received your reward in full. It seems like Jesus is saying, look, I'll let you get the reward you seek. If you want the praise of other people, I'll let you have it. But that's it. There's nothing greater. That's temporal. That's not going to last. That's going to fade. It almost feels like God in his kindness lets us step into the thing that's going to fade so we can realize how hollow it is. And in realizing how hollow it is, we can turn to God. And so the first thing he says, when you give, when you give, don't sound the trumpets, don't announce it, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so the context of this is they would um, have their general tithe, but then they had a free will offering. It was like a little basket that was in the corner of the synagogue. And so what they would do is they'd walk over, then what he's saying is these people would walk over and they would have a bag of really loud coins and they would like one by one drop the coins into the loud tin basket, just kerplunk, kerplunk, as loud as they could while everyone's around so everyone would see how generous they are. And Jesus is saying, don't be like the hypocrites that are doing that. And he says, when you pray, don't stand in the synagogues or on the street corners. So the Jews had three times daily they would pray. They'd pray when they wake up, they'd pray like a midday prayer, and they'd pray before they'd go to bed. They were fixed times of prayer, which means you know when the prayer is going to happen and when the bells are going to go off. And Jesus is noting that there are people who just so happen to always be in a really public place when the bell goes off, even though they know prayer is going to happen. And so what he's saying is, is, look, you have to pray at these times, but there's not a specific place you have to pray. So why do you choose to be on the street corners? Why do you choose to be in the public places? Why do you choose to do this in such a way that everyone's going to see you and look at you and say, wow, that's a really good person? Don't be like the hypocrites. Then he says, when you fast, don't walk around telling everyone. Now, if people find out that you're fasting, that's okay. God still sees it. But he's doing it in such a way where don't let your motive be. Don't let your eyes sink in. Don't Don't let yourself look all tired. Don't look disheveled. Don't be like, oh, I'm so hungry all of the time because your motive is what he's after. Glenn Stassen says, Jesus taught a highly practical way of being delivered from the problem of trying to impress others. When we pray, we are to do so secretly in our own room with the door shut. Then it is easier to think about God's will and and presence without worrying about what others think of your words. We can also confess more truthfully and ask God's guidance more openly, even tearfully. See, I think secrecy frees us from the slavery of human approval. Bonhoeffer makes a good point where he says, even in secrecy, there can be a temptation to praise ourselves, right? When you go to a secret place and you pray or you go to, you're fasting, you can almost think to yourself, I am pretty good, aren't I? I am pretty awesome. And I'm not even telling anybody about that, which makes me kind of even more awesome. See, we can still fall into the tyranny of applause. It's just self-applause. Jesus, when he gets to that statement, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, what he's saying is don't even do it for your own self puffing up. When you give, it is for the glory of God alone, for the view and the gaze of God alone, not for your own pride and not for the accolades of others. Bonhoeffer continues. He says, prayer is never demonstrative neither before God, nor before ourselves, nor before others. Prayer is necessarily hidden. It is the opposite of a public act in every way. In self-conscious prayer, I hear myself because I do not want to wait for God to listen to me, 
I construct my own hearing of my prayer. I observe that I have prayed piously. And this observation provides the satisfaction of being heard because I have given myself the reward of public acclaim. God himself will give no reward. Scott McKnight says that we can encourage people to do every pious action as close to the border of secrecy as possible. So in hiddenness, our motives are purified. That's where you can begin to have purified motives as you give, as you pray, as you fast, as you love, as you serve. It's purified when you do that in the hidden place. Now, popular culture might tell you, hey, keep doing those things. No one sees you right now, but just just stick it out because you'll get your reward. You'll be noticed eventually. That's not the promise of God. And I think when we living that way, we keep doing these things in secret for the sake of that reward that's going to come, then we miss out on the true reward. The true reward is in hiddenness. It's the intimacy that we get with God. When he says, your father who's in secret sees in secret and he will reward you, he rewards you with his very presence. He rewards you with his very sight, his very pleasure over your life. He rewards you with himself. And so while we do that, our motivations are purified. And then we move into learning to love God's affirmations over the affirmations of others. Have you ever wanted God's attention? Have you ever wanted just to know that God is listening to you? Jesus right here is telling us how, right? It's in the intimate moments. It's in hiddenness where we get to cultivate this intentional, beautiful life with God. And over time, as we do this, we peel off the calloused skin of our hearts to reveal a soft and palpable and sensitivity to him. It's like marriage or it's like any relationship. Even if it's a friendship, when you have something where you have those inside jokes, you have those things that no one else knows, it's those secret things, it's those inside things that you have that actually make the relationship meaningful and impactful and beautiful and intimate. And this is the invitation of God. He wants to have those hidden moments with you, and that produces intimacy. Um, we had a roommate in college, and uh, Ryan and I, was, we were going to Disneyland, and um, we decided, we were like, hey, like, let's just invite our friend to go to Disneyland too. So all three of us were like, hey, let's, let's go to Disneyland. And our one roommate was like, nah, I don't, I don't wanna go. We were like, dude, why would you skip out on corn dogs in Disneyland? Like, the corn dogs. And so he's like, I don't want to go. And so we, we go down to the car, and we like, are getting ready to go to Disneyland. It's a pretty long trek to the car, so we've been gone for a little bit. And we're like, oh, it's going to be cold. We should go back for our, our sweatshirts. So we all run back. We run back up to our room, and we walk into our room. And I promise this is like a very PG um, story. We walk back into our room, and our, you'll, you'll catch. Uh, our roommate is like wearing a full suit, and he's got a candle lit, and he's like, sitting there and he he knew that we were coming and his face is just like buried into his hands super embarrassed and we're just like what are you doing sitting by yourself in your suit with a candle lit like we thought all like the bad thing we're like what are you doing dude and we're like whatever we got corn dogs to go to and so we like left came back later and he was like dude i i was so embarrassed we're like why were you in your suit and he's like Honestly, it sounds really weird, but I've just been missing God. And so I chose God over Disneyland, and I chose to dress up. I chose to light a candle. I chose to make it special. I chose to make it a beautiful moment. And I was like, that's cool. 
But it actually is really beautiful. I don't know. I mean, the language of like dating God might throw you off a little bit. But I think the question is, how actually are you cultivating environments of intimacy with God? So the reality is, is like, I'm a weirdo with my son. I'm never going to tickle you like I tickle my son. I'm never going to like act like a monkey in front of you. Like there are things that it's like I do with my son and that's beautiful. And we get that. And so there's something that God wants from you that he wants you and you alone to share with him. And it's actually as you do that, intimacy is built. See, the reality is I date my wife because I'm fond of her. But I also date my wife because I want to grow in fondness of her. So you might be really fond of God and you should spend time with him. But you also might be like, I want that fondness. I don't have it yet. You should create times with God. Because as you create those spaces, those dating moments, those intimate moments, those set-aside, hidden, secret moments, your fondness grows. Marriages that last are the ones that they continue to date. If you want intimacy and beauty and, and power in your life with God, you have to create those moments. And in those moments, you're being shaped, you're being changed, you're being transformed to be the type of person who can demonstrate with pure motives who can live the life of kingdom. You can love freely. You don't have to be shackled to the, to the shame cycle or to other people's approval. You get to just love freely. There is this poem and this prayer that I love that I read all of the time. And I think this kind of speaks to what happens in those hidden places. So Pierre Teilhard de, de Chardin, he says this, above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet, it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. See, when we go into hiddenness, we feel anxiety. We feel tension. But let those tensions, let the pain of being like, ah, they didn't recognize me for that thing that I did. I put so much time into that. My boss never gave me the raise. Dang, I took out the trash. My wife never even said, I love you. I took the kitty litter. I did all of that. That's like the worst part. And she never even noticed. You can go through all of these things. But as we do that, there will be this tension. Let that tension be a window to invite God in more. And this is the final thing I want to say is that in hiddenness, there's something new that's created inside of you. What I want to highlight is that in creation, who was there for creation? God alone. I guess he could have created humans earlier so that we could have experienced it and like saw it all happen, but he waited to the very end to create humans to enjoy it. And then when Jesus goes around and he's doing his ministry and he's doing recreation, he's healing people. He's restoring people who have been cast out of society. I mean, he's doing all these beautiful recreative acts. What does he always say? He does it in secret and he says, don't go tell anybody. 
He's doing so in a secret place. Think about a seed that's planted in the ground. It is through the hiddenness of the soil and the watering that the seed grows. Think about a baby that's growing in the hiddenness of a womb. Creation seems to happen in hidden places. And so I think it is for you that if you find yourself in the tension, you find yourself in an unrecognized place, if you find yourself in, a, in that moment where you're like, I'm just gonna sneak away on this one. Maybe, just maybe, God's creating something new and beautiful inside of you. How can you actually welcome hiddenness and welcome the tension that you might feel as something that might say, Lord, what are you doing inside of me? What are you birthing? What are you creating inside of me? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up. Jesus ends his sermon, the one that we've been walking through, the Sermon on the Mount, with this really daunting phrase. If you've read it, you're kind of baffled by it. It's in Matthew 7, verse 22. It says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, didn't we drive out demons? And in your name, perform many miracles? But then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. See, there is something about our lives that we can live our entire lives for the praise of other people and never know the Lord. We can do good things. We can do Christian things. We can do public things. We can live our lives for the accolades of others. And Jesus says, I'll give it to you. You can have the praise of others. But at the end of the day, you could say, Lord, didn't I do all these things? And he's like, yeah, but you got your reward. You got the applause. You got the praise of other people. And what this is getting at is Jesus wants to know you. He wants to see you. He wants to be with you. And it's in that place that our, motivate, our motives are purified. It's when new things are created and it's when we learn to cherish and love the gaze and the approval of God alone. That's the church that we wanna be. A beautiful church that demonstrates but does so from this place of incubation and hiddenness. I'm gonna pray and then we're just gonna worship and as we do that, um, I'm going to come up and just kind of give us some practicals at the end. But would you guys mind standing with me as we pray and get ready to, to worship the Lord? So, Lord, I, I pray that um, even in this moment, this public moment, that you would even whisper to us, that you would whisper to us the ways that you want to hide certain things in our heart. God, I pray that you... You call us into deeper places of intimacy with you. Lord, I pray that you would, um, you would speak to the thing that we need. If, if we've been hiding our light away, if we've been living in a way where we haven't been expressing the love that you have for us to give, maybe we have extra time to, to mentor someone or we've got a gift that we can offer away, Lord. If we've been hiding our light, I pray that you would just, you would help us, you would call us, you would convict us. You would give us boldness and confidence to step into that. So Lord, would you speak to that person right now, Lord? And I just pray for the people who, even those people, that, that they need to step out into demonstration. Lord, I pray that in those hidden places, that you would create such intimacy, such beauty, such purity, that you would create something so new, that we would cherish those moments. And Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just be like a nice thought to be like, wow, God smiles over me, he likes me. I pray that it would be a felt experience, a burning in our bones to long for your approval, 
to long for your praise, to long for your eyes to see us. God, I pray that that's the motivator of our entire lives. Lord, make us a church that's motivated by your beautiful gaze on our life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.